I'm Keith Stern, the rabbi of Temple Beth Avodah of Newton, Massachusetts, and this is TBA Now, a podcast featuring issues and concerns that affect our temple community and the people who make it an interesting, dynamic place to be. Everyone has stories to tell. This is the place to hear them. At 543 Commonwealth Avenue in Newton, Blacker's Bakery is an institution. A kosher bakery with the added benefit of a nut-free, dairy-free menu, people come from far and wide to sample their delicious fare. What happens in a kosher bakery? What happens in a kosher bakery during COVID time? And what's a bubkey anyway? Karen, Richard, and Becca Blacker are here to talk about all that and more. Come give a listen. Welcome to TBA Now, and I am looking, I wish we had a visual for this, but you're just going to have to trust me. I'm looking at three-fifths of the Blacker family. Um, they are masked, but I can tell those faces behind those masks for a number of reasons. Most of all, because they are part of the mainstay crew of Temple Beth Avodah membership. They have been here a long time. And I just want to add to that. One of the most wonderful things that happened to me is when I came to Newton for my first interview with the congregation. I got in late. They dropped me off at the uh, Needham Sheraton. Need I say more? But I was in that room, and it was late, and I was hungry. And of course, there was nothing open. It was before you could pick up the phone and get something from somewhere. All that was there was a basket filled with cookies. And it said Crosstown Cookies on the top with a note that said, uh, Rabbi Stern, welcome. As I jumped into that basket, Diet Coke and cookies at about 1.30 in the morning, I was introduced to the great skill of the Blacker family in the bakery. And I've always, always remembered that. It always makes me feel so good and so happy to think of those cookies and to connect the sweetness and the enjoyment to you. So welcome. Thank you. I want to ask you, Richie, because Richard Blacker, you grew up here. What, how old were you when you found yourself in the halls of the original Temple Beth Avodah? Um, my parents were one of the first families to, to join. Um, and uh, so I was... Uh, what year are we talking about? So I was a senior in high school, so that was before Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was 1963, I think. I think. And um, it was a much smaller place, and, um, but it was, it was home. And it was, my parents joined because all their friends were joining, and uh, typical Oak Hill Park group and um, my uh, brother and I um, were kind of coerced into uh, joining the choir. So we did that for a year or so. And then I went off to college and, uh, and, then, and then things happened. So um, your parents were really involved with the temple from the very yes, beginning. Very involved, yes. Both, both parents, um, my dad made it all the way to treasurer 
he, he never wanted to be president, but uh, and that's because he worked six days a week, is what he told me anyway. And uh, mom was involved in all kinds of sisterhood stuff and uh, youth stuff and although for for a long time the youth was my brother and me. <laughs> <laughs> so you were really like in at the start. Yes, yes. And um, when do you bring your lovely bride to the temple? The minute we got married, which was 74, 74 years or 1974? 1974. <clears throat> Sometimes it feels, yeah. 1974, uh, we got married and I said, this is the temple we're joining. There's not a, not a big question. I mean, we're both living around Boston. We were in Brighton at the time, but uh, um, this was home to me. It always was. And Becca, uh, you were, so when I got here, you had already had a bat mitzvah. Yes, you missed me by a year. But we were together in, uh, I guess we, used to, we still called it confirmation in those days. Mm -hmm. It was always fun because you were a very inquisitive uh, student with not much concern about, uh, uh, how can I put it? <laughs> you, you spoke bluntly and straight, which I... Having gotten to know your mother, I assumed was directly uh, well between between the two your parents. Actually, I don't know. I I think you have no choice but to shoot from the hip. She still does. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's also being the youngest kid doesn't doesn't keep that uh, too quiet either. Got it. Um, all right. So we've established your long, long, deep roots, and now I want to know about making cookies. Karen, did you? love baking from the time you were a little, little kid? Absolutely. I baked all the time. And if I was dieting, I would even bake more so people could enjoy what I couldn't have. Oh, you were a feeder. <laughs> I was a feeder. I was a feeder, yeah. What was your first, uh, as far as you're concerned, like your, your first great cookie recipe? What kind of cookies? Oh, peanut butter with chocolate chip, macadamia nut with white chips and chocolate chips. But that was when we had the cookie company. So we had a lot of good flavors and popular. Oatmeal raisin was the most popular. People would send me their medical bills and tell me it was my fault that their sugar <laughs> was high and how can you do this to me? But well, I can attest uh, to <laughs> that they were, they were and are delicious. But, but how did you, so you grew up, you loved, you were comfortable baking around the kitchen. Mm -hmm. How did you go from that to having the chutzpah to actually open up a bakery for profit? Well, in the early 2000s, we sold the cookie store. We had a cookie company since 88. And in 04, we had an opportunity to sell the company to a, comp to a local company in Rhode Island. And when they didn't keep or honor the agreement that we had in the selling of the business, Richard and I left. So we were both unemployed. Richard was, I was doing catering with a friend. Richard was delivering for Michael for Baker's Best, and we were looking for work. At the same time, we were... It's a scary moment. Oh, it was scary. And we had three kids, hungry kids. <laughs> yeah, it was scary because we just didn't know. We knew that food was in our future. We both worked. We loved the food business but we weren't in our 20s or 30s either. So at the same time, we were cooking for Midrashah here at the temple. So I have to say seriously that if we had not cooked for Midrashah, we would not have the bakery today. 
And that's huh. a true story. I did not know that. Oh, absolutely. Because I was, we shop at uh, Restaurant Depot and I was looking for a tomato sauce one day for pasta. And there was a woman standing in the aisle and she was looking and whatever. And I said, oh, do you know which sauce might be best? And she told me, should I have five kids and yada, yada. She said, um, why? And I, I told her I baked here. She said, oh, and then we started talking. And at the same time, I was making babkas at home, okay, and giving them to people. And they were so delicious. And would you take a moment and describe for the audience, 99% of whom will obviously know what a babka is, but how would you describe a babka? A babka is a yeast-raised coffee cake, initially Polish descent, but Middle uh, Eastern Europe, and uh, often mostly cinnamon raisin. I understand in Poland it was cheese, a lot of cheese babka. Um, but yeah, it's a yeast-raised coffee cake. Just about the babka, because now you mentioned the word babka. I responded, and now we're stuck in babka. But um, <laughs> where did you uh, taste uh, your first babka? Uh, you know, I probably when I was a kid, there was a taste memory in my head of what mm. it should taste like. And I am a recipe, almost annoyance to my friends. I'll look at one recipe, then I'll compare it to 10. And I would try them. I would do this at home. I was making babkas all the time. Mostly chocolate at home. Yeah. You did Mostly a lot chocolate of chocolate babka, yeah. Right, right. So we did a lot of babka research. So that was, part of my thing was someday I will have somebody contract bake this babka for me because the health rules of selling out of the house, you know, the Board of Health, all of that just weren't available at that time to do what I needed to do. Okay, so let's go back then. So you're standing in Restaurant Depot, you're schmoozing about baking. Schmoozing this woman, and she said, oh, I own a bakery. Somehow we got to that, and I'm like, oh. And I told her the story about the Bob Gar. I said, do you think you could, something you could do? Could you contract bake that for me? You know, I'll give you the recipe, you bake it, and I sell it. She said, you know, I'd love to do that. She said, but first of all, I am dairy-free, nut-free. It's a power of bakery. And second, I'm looking to sell it. Would you like to buy a bakery? That's what she said to me, I swear. I said, and this is January. We've been out of work since the fall. And I'm like, hi, you know, let me get back to you on that. So she gave me her number. Um, and Richard was in Florida. Yeah, visiting my folks. Yeah, and, he, and I called him. He said, you want to buy a bakery? I said, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Seriously. No hesitation. No hesitation. It's like, oh my gosh, we didn't know from, from retail. We were wholesale with a cookie company right. for 20 years. We had the cookie company wholesale. So Becca, did you think your parents had lost it? A little bit, but I also want to clarify that when she says that she was baking babkas at home, it wasn't like one or two. It was like 15 to 20 at a time giving them out. So it felt like a natural progression. I was like, great, we'll have more space for your babka obsession. Cool. I love it. So you just kind of had to go with the flow. Mm -hmm. And so from the moment that your husband says, sure, let's do it. What happens next? How, when is it for the time he says yes to that you're standing in that bakery going, oi, gewalt? Exactly. Uh, okay, so that moment we said, oh, my God, Richard, what do we do? Who do we call? So we called uh, Ron Feldman, our friend, because he's a lawyer. I said, Ron, what do we do? He said, okay, let's get together. We'll talk about this. And Ron is so efficient. I mean, he's dot the I's, crossed the T's on every single thing. And it was actually very important in this situation, the transactions that had to happen. So that was in January, 
And on uh, Cinco de Mayo, May, was our first day, 2008, in the middle of the recession. People are like, you crazy? Yes. <laughs> I'm buying a bakery in my late 50s. Yes, I'm crazy. <laughs> it was the best thing we ever did. In terms of all the family projects you had done up to this point. Absolutely. Well, I want to get to that because in not that many years, uh, you've become an institution in the greater Boston area. And I want to tell you that I did have a moment when standing in your bakery, I don't know, four years ago, and a woman came in. She had driven from like, I don't know, like 75 miles away. And she came in. I remember her saying, I think to you, Karen, you mean there are no nuts in anything? And you said, there are no nuts in anything. And she got teary and just said, this is the first time I can buy my kid and it was a birthday cake, and I don't have to worry He's because he's so allergic. And you said, that's what we're here for. And I just, it, it, it clarified how important your unique position is as a purveyor of baked goods in the greater Boston area. So I'm, I'm curious, though, before we dig more into that, you're also a kosher bakery. How's that going? Like, how, how does that work? You don't come from an Orthodox family. So being kosher was on a natural move. So how did you get there? Because the bakery had been a bakery for like 50 years or something. It had been like five different bakeries oh. all before that. And a lot of them served this community, the Orthodox community who needed it to be this one, uh, this one thing. I don't know if it was part of the contract, but it, it made sense. You know, we bought the bakery and it came with clientele. So why would we change that? And it became more and more obvious that not only was it important to the kosher parv community, but it crossed over into this allergy community that also brought us this, this clientele, which we have seen over the last however many years is so important to both communities. And the steps taken to be kosher, to keep kosher, is not as hard as most people think it is. Um, it's not like in a shop that serves meat that we need to have a mashkiach there all the time. And a mashkiach would be? Someone who comes to check all the ingredients, all of the processes to make sure. Keeps us honest. Keeps us honest, keeps us kosher, that kind of thing, signs off. Keeps so the we have, in business, but it's all different, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, own, it's its own thing, yeah, it's own business. <laughs> but no, we have someone who comes, you know, every time we get an ingredient delivery to come and make sure every single ingredient is kosher and he signs off on it. Very lovely guy. Um, and then the we fruit. have... What? Washes the fruit. Washes the fruit, yes, if, it, if there needs to be. And uh, so why would... The rabbi who comes to check your ingredients, why would he be washing? Because you make things like fruit tarts, correct? Yeah. So why would he be washing your fruit? Because he likes to do that. What the... <laughs> he loves it. No. The <laughs> stipulation is that it needs to be done by an observant Jew, mm -hmm. okay, just to make sure it's done correctly. And to wash bugs. That's yeah. what they're concerned about. Bugs are not yeah. kosher. Definitely they're not protein, kosher. but they're not kosher. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. So it's mostly like, I mean, there's some fruits that don't need to be washed. Things that have peels don't need to be rabbied. But like strawberries, berries. that yeah. fruit, that kind of stuff where there could be hidden and bugs. It, interestingly, we cannot, we are not allowed to use raspberries. Which too many is, nooks and crannies. Which is really annoying for a bakery. Really? Um, but too many, right, too many nooks and crannies, too many bugs. Who knew? And even if a frozen raspberry says kosher on the bag, can't use it. Yeah. 
And is that sort of a, uh, a national thing or is that just sort of the local rabbi's decision? I think local. It's tough. The rabbi that supervises us exactly. is a Sephardic rabbi. I'm not connected with the Vod, but connected, but he is the uh, head rabbi for the Sephardic community, which really is centralized in Brookline. And uh, he's a wonderful guy. And is the Sephardic rabbinic uh, thumbs up on the um, products in your store, does that hold for someone walking over from uh, the uh, the shul, uh, the, the Orthodox shul on yeah. Commonwealth Ave? Yeah, we had we did have to go through a whole proving ourselves. Yeah, proving ourselves uh, to the vod a few years ago, but once they accepted us, it's accepted. Great. So you don't have to, any issue with that. Yeah, it's really important to a lot of the Jewish community in our area. We have people call, I'd say, a number of times a week to ask what our hector is, who's the supervising rabbi. And I've had to send like pictures of our certification to people before they even come to the store. Wow. But once they see that, there's no problem. So, Becca, I have seen you in the bakery from once in a while to more and more. So tell us about your connection to the bakery and what it's like for you to be in. This is a family business. What, what's it like? Absolutely. I mean, I think it started when they purchased the bakery. I was working full time in higher education. Um, and I, you know, we'd always go to help. That was stipulation of family bakery, even from the cookie factory. We worked over the summers. You, you know, dad said, come help, you come help. But once my career in education sort of was taking shifts and turns and um, I was trying to do a couple other things, the bakery was just sort of always there as a net of sort. And growing up in a food family, it's always been sort of a push and pull with, do I go into the food business? I was, you know, very, very close to going to culinary school for college and then changed my mind last minute. So it was always like, am I in food? Am I not? Am I in education? Am I not? So eventually, the way that my education career went, I found myself at the bakery more often. And the more I was there, the easier it became to embrace like a family bakery life. And I think the blacker name holds holds some weight. Uh, so if someone is like, oh, you're a blacker? You work at Blacker's Bake Shop? I'm like, yeah, you know I do. Um, <laughs> just the way that my career has shifted, I've ended up being there more and more. And before we started this, uh, I was asked if I was there full time now. And basically, yes, but I'm also still part time at in education. But my focus has shifted more to running the bakery. And in this year of insane uncertainty, it's been really nice being able to be there and continue to have the bakery. I guess I wouldn't want it any other way. Uh, you brought something up, and I want to get to sort of the madness of this year as it relates to uh, Blacker's Bakery. But before that, Becca, I have a sense that your presence, increased presence at the bakery can be seen not necessarily uh, by the products, but more by the fact that you exist online. <laughs> yeah. So I'm wondering, are you the uh, person that has taken blackers from the 20th century into the uh, into the 21st century with uh, online presence? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's I had given them a website for Hanukkah a couple of years ago. It was terrible, but it was something <laughs> to start with. Way. But it was just like one of those template websites huh. that had like three pages and not any important information on it. But it was there. We were online. But no, I mean, I pay attention to um, a lot of the other businesses in the Newton Center area and what you know what they do and how their businesses have been growing. And it was very obvious that. We needed to be more digitally present, even just on Facebook and Instagram. So many of our customers are, that's how they get their information. So in times like this, in 2020, or even just, you know, on every high holiday, it's important that information gets out as fast as possible. And the prettier the pictures, the better. Well, I appreciate, you know, you, so one of the things uh, you should check everybody is, uh, Go on Instagram and uh, Blacker's Bakery, and you will always see almost every day, except over Shabbos, of course, uh, a, uh, I guess it's a blackboard or a whiteboard uh, out in front of the bakery. Uh, Becca takes a picture of it, and just it's a list of all the products that are available that day. And it's a wonderful, uh, wonderful way. And I know that you've been saying, oh, you know, someday I'm going to do it this way or that way, but there's something particularly wonderful about the homespun quality of just taking a picture of it. This is what we got. But I'm wondering, are you interested? Is it possible? Is it a total pain? Is it all of those things to think about a bakery sending stuff? In other words, online purchases. What is what does that entail? Have you thought about it? Are you doing it now? What is it? What do you do with it? Rebecca, having said what, how she set up a website and having us be online marketing you know, social media, we did it in hopes of eventually becoming not fully online ordering, but walk-ins and ordering online. And a major pivot happened (laughs) in March when we had just started online ordering platform. And yeah, it would happen when it happened. Well, take it from, from yeah. Passover. Yeah, and then it had to happen. It, it, was, it was unbelievable. Yeah, it's, I mean, we had a, a static menu online, and then when the governor yeah, shut down the state on, what was it, March 13th, um, we had to figure out how to get ordering done and how to get our customers' products the safest way possible. So it really was like, Overnight, we had to, you know, we hired a a web person. She set up an e-commerce site, and it it just kind of happened. And then I think people were really thankful that we were able to finally ship stuff. Um, It definitely was a learning curve. Uh, Can't ship things with frosting. Don't recommend that. (laughs) But Um, this this was just the shipping part that we enabled during. Passover when we still weren't open. Yeah, Passover not was, even the online orders. Yeah, right. Passover was all oh. we didn't even have the platform yet because oh, right. we were scrambling. So we were talking, we we were taking orders over the phone, we were taking people's credit cards over the phone and shipping and shipping stuff. So we had the best thing that we did was created like a Passover box. Yeah, that was like here are all the things you need. Order that. Give us your credit card. And, and we, we'll ship we it. sent out hundreds. I oh mean, my god! We had we had my son in California got all his people, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Oh my god, I want to send one." You know, it was just that was the word of mouth at that time because people could not order online yet. And you weren't even kosher for Passover. No, no, technically co- not. Right. I mean, other you you don't get the 
but you were able to send out kosher style, like macaroons and right. that sort of stuff. Yeah. So you brought the C word, so we might as well just keep going. So COVID hits, you're a small business, so suddenly the rug truly gets pulled out from under you, right? And when you realized that the door was, literally you had to close your doors, what was going on in the Blacker home? Like, what were you guys thinking about? What were you, were you f totally freaking? Well, uh, the, o the only the part of that that helped us, it happened to be the week that we were closed for Passover. Anyway. So that gave us time to sit back and say, oh my God, wow. what are we going to do? Yeah. We just shipped out hundreds of packages, you know, by word of mouth and schlepping these things to the post office. We didn't know that FedEx or anything, but he could pick up. We had <laughs> carloads of, you know, packages being sent out. So it gave us time to figure out what to do. And I think it was at that time, actually, we were able to get the online ordering started. Yeah. So initially, when we were able to reopen, we had, is that when it started? We had the table outside the door. Mm -hmm. To this day, we have the table outside the door. Could you explain what that looks like a little bit? Right. So if you walk up to the front of the store, there's a table blocking the door. And only a few people will move the table and try to walk inside. <laughs> but yeah, so that's blocking the door. And we have a couple of people waiting, serving the customer. They stand in line. We didn't have a lot of bakers in the back. We tried to space them so everybody wasn't together. The bread, the holler is made at the other end, so those boys were okay baking. But in our bakery, um, in, in our end... What, it was, yeah, one baker at a time right. and the two of us for a, oh, a that's long right. time. A long time, the two of us, until we had two more people come back. Yeah. So everybody had was laid off. That's right. Mm -hmm. And then we had probably in May or May. May, we had two people come back. So let's take a step back. So COVID hits, Passover week, you, get, you have a chance at least to kind of begin to orient yourselves. But I'm wondering, did you, did you think to yourselves, we're in a lot of trouble here? This is, we're a small business. What, what, how are we going to make it? Did, did you, or were you like, we know we got this. We have our clients. Let's face it. Juice one challah for Friday nights, even though, you know, no one says you're not allowed to bake. Most people are not bakers and challah is, for someone that does it all the time, it's simple. But if you're a beginner baker, it's a little, it's, it's, a, it's a little tricky. And, but given that, that people want and need. Right that stuff, it's not kind of like insulin, right? People can do without it. So my question is, what was your thinking during that time? How on the edge were you? How concerned about the future were you, the future of the bakery? You know, I think because we have this niche of kosher and allergy, I think even more than kosher, I was worried because there was a time when I could not pay people. They weren't on unemployment. Um, I don't know. I don't think we were ever like... Uh, yeah, I don't think we ever had the same panic of, that right. some other small businesses had because of the nature of our clientele. That's We offer these particular products that are a need. I mean, I guess you don't need a birthday cake, but if someone is anaphylactic, allergic to peanuts, and they want a cake, we're the ones that they... That they but, go to. But also, as far as need, nobody needed a, a cake, seriously, till maybe July. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hmm. we did much. Well, good point. <laughs> business was much slower. But our clientele, you know, they, they're so grateful. I have to say, that's the main word for our people, for our clientele. They are so grateful and they will, I mean, I had, I had temples who we sell to who we weren't delivering and they were sending me money. You know, we, the support from most of the people that we, dealt with. It was heartwarming. I mean, it was really unbelievable. 
So we, we were hoping we could just make it on the bread. <laughs> but then it picked up and people were very understanding. Yeah. But I, I don't think we ever worried about closing. Closing. I don't know if that's naive. I just, I just don't know. For you in the bakery, offering up things that people love to eat. What has been like for you, the interface with your customers? What has the bakery done for them besides, you know, give them something good to eat? Often we say that our customers are the best customers in all of the industry. I mean, we've never felt more supported and appreciated than, than in this, this crazy year. I mean, of course, it was, it was scary at the beginning. Um, we didn't know what was going to happen, but our customers kept coming back. It was, I think it gives them sort of a sense of normalcy as well. Um, and we always, we often talk about how if we ever were in like serious trouble, we could absolutely call on our customers and they would do what they can. And I think there's been a real push all over the country to, to shop small and to shop local and um, stores offering things that they might not normally offer. Like we started selling five pound bags of bread flour mm -hmm. <laughs> and that was a huge hit at the beginning because people couldn't necessarily either get that in the shops or they didn't want to go to the supermarkets. You were um, selling yeast also. We were selling yeast. Uh, more than a normal person would ever need. We'd, it would be like a, like a pound of one. vacuum sealed yeast. <laughs> it's a lot of yeast. They'll be like, how long would this last? You'd be like, your entire life. <laughs> You're fine. Every day, it's refreshing and comforting to know that our customers, both new customers that we've never met before and, and our, you know, our mainstay people who have been with us since we opened, do what they can and they keep coming back. And they let us know how grateful they are. Oh, They'll God, say yes. it all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah. that's important. It keeps us strong. Yeah, absolutely. The, the thank yous are so genuine, mm -hmm. going in both directions. I think we feel lucky, we who are your customers. And it sounds like you also feel lucky to be in an industry where you're producing something that is immediately pleasant and pleasurable. I mean, we definitely had to make major, major changes. We went from a retail staff of like seven or eight to the two of us for yeah. a couple of months. Um, luckily, they were all able to register for unemployment and get the unemployment benefits. But we had to absolutely make major changes. And as I had said, we I really followed a lot of the other Newton Center businesses to see what they were doing and how they were surviving. And um, it's a nice community in the food industry in Boston that we support you know, support with communication and everything. So we took nods from them. But no, we were, I think we were, I don't want to say lucky because no one was really lucky in the yeah. last 10 months or so, but. Right. But we were um, lucky. Newton uh, has over the years actually ended up having a really active restaurant um, community. Um, it wasn't always that way. And now there's some, really fine restaurants um, in our community. And of course, one of the things that COVID has done is to just beat restaurants within an inch of their lives. I'm wondering what kind of contact connections you have with uh, the food service community 
in the greater Newton or greater Boston area for that matter and kind of what's going on with them and how you interface? Um, I think one of the first things that that we had to do. So in March, when governor shut down the city, we had a lot of stuff in the freezer that we weren't sure what we were going to do with a lot of cookies, actually. Um, So I got in touch with, um, there's an amazing Chinese restaurant in Brookline um, called Sejuan Garden or Blossom Bar at Sejuan Garden. And the owner of that um, had set up an unbelievable sort of food relief program for the industry for the restaurant industry people who lost their jobs. Mm -hmm. They can pay whatever they want and he would give um, meals and we gave him cookies to put in those meals. Um, So it was a really nice relationship we formed with with Blossom Bar. Um, We were able to know that our stuff wasn't going to waste and it was going to people who needed it. Um, but even above that, and a, a relationship that we've had for a long time is with the Newton and Brookline food banks. Whenever we have leftover stuff at the end of the day or at the end of the week, we'll call this amazing woman named Vicki who will come in her truck and pick up whatever we have, and she will bring it to different food banks. I mean, you're absolutely right. The restaurant industry all over the country has been really just tackled to the ground. And it's it's nice to see restaurants supporting each other who in any other lifetime may be competitors, but, you know, we're helping each other out as much as we can. Um, and just, you know, a little virtual push to get takeout from your favorite restaurants, do what you can. They're, they're still around. I would assume that you are the commerce with those restaurants is also significantly down. Yeah. Basically, we, we almost eliminated the wholesale aspect of our business. Mm. There's one or two that are left. But you know what? It's okay. Right. Uh, your, your, your hands are full, as, thank God, with us. An interesting thing that we noticed, and even today, when we first opened the table outside the door and people started to come back, so many new faces, customers we had never seen, as if probably so many things were closed or other bakeries had closed. Oh, let's try these guys. And to this day, there are a number of customers who we, old customers from 08, who we have not seen, who have been with me religiously. Hmm. So I'm hoping, you know, after the vaccine, we'll see them. Um, but these people who came to us as new customers are still with us. What is your hope with the vaccine? What are your thoughts? just to let people back inside. I mean, I, we've only had one or two people walk away when they when they were told that they couldn't come inside. They're like, <laughs> what do you mean I can't come inside? I'm like, well, what do you mean I want to keep my people safe? You know, because <laughs> it's hard. You know, we put, um, we have shelves in the window with product on it and we have her board outside. We'll show people anything they want, but that's, to some, it wasn't good enough. And right. it was really so, just a few because people are so patient and we have more control because the line is outside. They're really good. Yeah. The customers are, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. They know now it's been long enough that they know if they come, they're going to have to wait in line. They know the drill. They do. And they're patient and they're understanding. And we, on social media, we'll thank them as often as, as possible for the understanding and the patience. And no, you're really um, good with that. Yeah. And it's, it's, and we mean it. It's really genuine. It is. We couldn't do it with, you know, grouchy customers. We wouldn't. We wouldn't. Um, And I think 
that's one of the things that have come out in this year is that people are understanding. They get it. Like we're a small business for all small businesses. They they know that it's not going to be an in and out. You come, you wait in line, it'll be a little bit slower, but we're right. here. So what has happened with the online ordering, that was a major change. That will continue after we reopen because it there's only a few of us still working. It eliminates the time that we have to take to sit get their information and call them back and get the credit card. I mean, there's just so much. So online, is it's been great. And we only hope to perfect the system more and more. And people can still walk up and order. Right. Uh, we have two lines, pre-order, so you don't have to wait. And then people who have not ordered, and they'll stand in line and order. So the online was like the best thing that happened. Yeah. It's interesting, <laughs> though, because people, our customers really, they appreciate the old schoolness of our bakery that like, you know, we're a family bakery. The other two women who work in the bakery are mother and daughter. Like it's it's very family owned. It's very family. It feels old school. And when we had to implement the online ordering, there was a potential for it to become this new shiny thing, fast paced, get whatever you want. And I we think we've kind of held a good balance in between where we're still human beings talking to our customers, asking what they need. And this year, <laughs> we joke that every phone call that comes in is a little bit of a therapy session before <laughs> the order is placed. Like, we know everything about ev- like all of our customers. Because they need sure. to talk. They need to talk, oh and that's gosh. fine. Um, but it's we've held that, that balance between fancy, shiny, new, get whatever you want and not have to talk to any people and that sort of family community bakery. Well, certainly over the years, one of the things that's been great about the bakery is going from the first couple years where the space was very close and it was very dark and it was, you know, and, and now it's beautiful. You know, it really was the way you completely renovated the space was terrific. And I'm eager for the time when people will be able to walk back in and, and just, you know, feel I mean, it. Yeah. I, I want to make sure we have this part of... Uh, the controversy, you know, dealt with right here and now. The controversy of challah in the greater Bosnia, who has the best oh. challah. <laughs> do the competing bakeries, do y'all ever talk to each other? Oh, sure. I actually hire, I have somebody, I've just hired somebody who works for a competitor. He works for me too. <laughs> <laughs> we share. Uh, so how would you describe your challah? And why is it the finest challah in the land? have to go back for more. Mm-hmm. That you can't, like if you buy... Um, a kala and you say you're going to put it in your trunk so you don't eat it, you pull the car over to get that kala out of the <laughs> you trunk. You followed me. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Um, I mean, you can compare others that might be sweeter or drier. And, you know, on most days, our kala is it's just right on. It's a delicious pillow. <laughs> a delicious pillow. Oh, like that our, you could sleep our head, on Our head kala maker oh. uh, has been in the business for at least... 40, 40 years. Yeah. Before us, he worked at uh, Diamond Bakery. Which was? Which was in Newton Four Corners, and which was the... The bakery. The bakery. And when they closed... And that happened to be the year that we opened. They had closed maybe a fortuitous. year before. Very fortuitous. It was, everything was fortuitous about this bakery, I must say. Yeah. yeah. But it's when he makes the challah, it's, it's really incredible to watch. I mean, he'll... He's been doing it for so long that he doesn't measure anything 
he doesn't. We're talking about. We're not talking like a measuring cup. Here. No, this is a. This is in a. Pounds. Yeah, hundred pound batter at a time. You could take a bath in the mixer. Um, not kosher. Don't do that. <laughs> but like he'll look at it and he'll throw like three ice cubes in and be like, "What? Why did you do that?" And be like, "It needed it." What? <laughs> Yeah. So that's he, what people say. If, if something happened to him, do you have the recipe? There is no recipe. It's it's Al's recipe. Yeah, you know, I mean, there are many. I have another person who works for me who can make challah, and he makes good challah, but it's not his challah. It's not mm-hmm. Al's. Yeah. So we think about that. That's our next thought in the years to come because he's not going to be with us forever. He tells me three years, but he told me that five years ago too. So we <laughs> just don't know what's going to be as far as that. We have to train someone to watch him. Yeah, yeah. You've said before that the bakery's old school, you know, in terms of, in many ways, and the products are reminiscent of stuff you could get in a Jewish bakery two, three generations ago. Um, But you also innovate. And I'm wondering if you would describe sort of some of the newest things that you've brought into the bakery. Research is, is the part I love. Researching new recipes and having somebody's expertise try it out what do you think is the most the uh, brownie tort yeah i think just the fact that um when for a long time when people think about kosher food it's like a all right i guess i'll eat it or i won't or i won't yeah (laughs) it doesn't doesn't necessarily come with the um sort of fine baking that you know a french bakery or an italian bakery might have but when when they bought the bakery, it was my mom's mission to, you know, kosher food can be decadent. Uh, so it's bringing in, you know, an ultra rich fudgy brownie with, with the best cocoa. Yeah, using the best sure. cocoa, using the best chips. It's really, it's just about there's using, no there's no butter. It's bananas. It's not bananas. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, there's no butter and, and having it just have that decadence that you wouldn't necessarily think about when you think about kosher food. That's sort of the innovation that that we've brought. Right. I want to say to you, Karen, Richard, Becca, on behalf of your customers everywhere, that it has been such a joy to break bread with people using your bread to do that. And every Friday night on the beam here at Tamabeth Avoda, we are breaking bread with Black Ishala and... It's just, uh, it's in the Yiddish phrase of Machaya. It's just, it's a wonderful, pleasing experience. And thank you for what you've created. Thank you for being members for so darn long. And um, it, it means the world to all of us. So uh, thank you so much for appearing on the podcast. And thanks for doing what you do. This thank is you very our much. Show. Our this pleasure. is our synagogue. This is our temple. Call it whatever you want. It's ours. <laughs> makes us happy. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to TBA Now. We want you to subscribe. Help us grow this bigger and better. Let us know what you think. Any suggestions, any thoughts for who we should talk to. We are all ears. You can access us by the website, bethavodad.org, or find us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.